Welcome to Aster Economic Review. My name is John Exxon. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Astro Risk Management. I am joined today by my friend and colleague, Nick Porter. Nick, hello. Hi, John. Nick, do you want to start our usual way and tell me what you think of the economy in a nutshell, 20 words or less? Yeah, I don't think I've seen really any material change in the underlying U.S. economic condition. And tangibly, what I mean by that is some general cooling that we've seen since 2023 began, but really still a very robust labor market, inflation that's too hot, and you know, I'd say no real sign of imminent downturn. I think that that is accurate. And I did see somebody saying, oh, is this stagflation? It's like, no, you can't have stagflation when the unemployment rate is still at record lows. You'd say the economy might be slowing. You have to like squint to see that a little bit outside of the industrial production sector. But the economy still seems to be quite strong to me. And inflation moderation is probably coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to say when people have been saying that for three years, but certainly I would say that the underlying rate has cooled, although it's still well above Fed target. Right. And that brings up the Fed in particular. And right now, the markets see the Fed as having you know maybe one more hike in them. They're meeting, of course, on the 3rd, Tuesday. What do you think? They're going to do it one more time? Is that it? One and done? I would say that they're going to do it at least one more time. You know, we've talked about this ad nauseum, so I won't belabor the point, but the market is still pricing some pretty aggressive Fed hikes throughout 2023, Fed cuts, excuse me. And, you know, as we've said, I think that's probably unrealistic unless there's some sort of sea change in, in the underlying fundamentals. We'll certainly get 25 basis points at the next meeting. They might wait and pause and, and sort of see where the economy evolves from there. I think that's certainly plausible, but I wouldn't be expected to see more hikes throughout the year, maybe to the tune of another 50 bips, half a percentage point, if the economy sort of stays where it is. And I think that's probably more likely that than not at this point. The labor market hasn't really cooled. Inflation is still pretty robust, and so that's sort of where things are today. Yeah, the market, the Fed funds futures market, sees uh, effective rate right now. Fed funds is four eighty three. They see the target rate of five. They see the rates going up a little bit more, and then coming down to four fifty by the end of the year. But you know, the, the Fed could get a lot of bang for its buck for another twenty five basis point hike, right? It's not expected. It wouldn't do like, you don't think 25 more basis points would do that much damage to the economy just on a pure interest rate level or on dragging up mortgage rates, but it would get people's attention. Like, yeah, it would. And this, there's sort of this interesting idea once you're into real positive real rate territory for monetary policy that every little bit is quite a bit more effective than it was previously. And if you look at the real rate, not using trillions PI, but using inflation expectations, we are indeed in, in positive territory. So yeah, I think it's plausible that maybe this next hike is a little bit more meaningful than the previous ones. Yeah, it was just, uh, speaking of inflation expectations, it just brought up in a good Paul Krugman column about the Atlanta Fed has a survey of business inflation expectations, which what they expect to pay more on their costs in the coming year, which seems like that could be a reasonable measure sort of in principle of inflation expectations. And that is still quite high compared to, you know, its history, but coming off its peak at a pretty decent pace. One thing I thought we might be interesting to talk it over was there's a good 
Bloomberg column by John Authors, who is an ex-financial time columnist, moved over to Bloomberg with the big bucks. And he talks about, so one of the Bank of England guys got in trouble for saying that in the UK, that people need to get used to being poorer. And that was sort of like taken kind of out of context of a long interview. And, you know, I think that one, it's interesting because like, do you think that that situation holds in the US, right? Do the US have to, and his, his argument was more that the UK imports a lot of natural gas, price of natural gas skyrocketed and the price of what they export didn't skyrocket. So by definition, like there's just like less money to go around in the UK. And what do you think of that argument? What do you think, do you think it applies to the US? Yeah, I mean, so this poor guy got absolutely thrashed on on Twitter for that one little sound point. But I think his broader his broader point is I think quite true. You know, A, as you mentioned, the, the UK experienced a, a pretty adverse terms of trade stock, the shock, the stuff that they've exported didn't really go up in price, imported did go in price. And then B, that margins haven't really compressed, that people are still spending the same, that companies haven't allowed their margins to shrink from eating more of the cost for some of the inputs. You know, it's a bit idiosyncratic to the UK. The US obviously is now a net exporter of natural gas, not sort of a more of a European problem. But, you know, I think the point more broadly about margin stands, you've seen companies like Pepsi that have had, you know, margins stay the same or, or grow. And that's not from increasing the number of units sold, but rather from increasing the price, which consumers to date have really seemed willing to bear. And there's sort of this broader question of consumer demand. How long will consumer balance sheets hold up for? And will people become a little bit more price sensitive or cut back a little bit on consumption? And, you know, to date, we haven't really seen that slowing. Yeah, I think that's right. And there's a risk of sort of wandering off into Elizabeth Warren territory here. But yeah, I think the interesting thing is sort of almost by definition, anytime there's an increase in broad prices, it means that businesses are not compressing margins enough to eat at the higher costs. And yeah, so like Starbucks, I think is just jamming through its third price hike since the pandemic. And everybody is, the. if you look at the earnings estimates for stocks, like they're not going down, right? Like we're not going down significantly. Everyone thinks that they can raise their prices to make up for their higher input prices. And how long can that go on? You know, I guess. Yeah, and I think this broader theme within mainstream economics is that it used to be quite difficult or maybe unpopular to say, well, part of inflation is companies keeping their margins thick, right? And I think today, just as sort of the evidence has come in, a little bit more comfortable, people in general, economists in general, are a little bit more comfortable saying that companies are playing a price in inflation here. And that unlike in, in typical cycles where, they wouldn't be passing these input costs on to consumers. They too have a role to play. And I think that is generally true. Consumers have a role to play because they're not... Companies have a role to play because they're not willing to eat these input costs, but they're passing these on to consumers. And for consumers' parts, that they're still willing to spend at those prices, right? Right. And later on in that article, authors goes on to talk about the 70s and the U.S. experience where... The Fed hiked dramatically from like 1970 to say 1974, mid 1974. Then inflation came down, the Fed cut rates to below the inflation rate. And of course, that was a mistake. And, you know, inflation blew up again to much higher rates at, at the 
around 1980, 1981, and the Fed had to raise rates well, well, well above inflation to get stuff under control. You know, with the thought of the Fed cutting rates in the second half of the year, the Fed is very aware of its history, as you know. I wonder if that experience would be weighing on their minds, right? Like with inflation coming down, but pretty slowly, and you can't make the excuse that it's just a shock, right? This seems to be pretty broad. That might make the Fed even less willing to cut rates. Yeah, I mean, I think the simplest way to think about that is we got the personal consumption expenditure of PCE numbers today, and they were up 4.2% annualized. But excluding food and energy, just the stuff the Fed's supposed to look through is up 4.9%, which is above forecasts and the hottest in quite some time. So the argument that, you know, this is a transitory shock is obviously way by the wayside, but we have sort of seen a broadening of inflation into services and away from those goods. And the Fed certainly finds that concerning. Jay Powell, the uh, chairman, has talked a lot about sort of so-called super core that excludes housing, and that's that's still very hot as well. So I don't think that they'll see much reason at all to even consider cutting absence some sort of mass unemployment and you know what the trigger for that would be. No one really knows. Yeah, I mean, I think our house view has been pretty consistent that the Fed's not cutting until people are losing jobs in pretty significant numbers. You can say continuing claims has gone up a little bit, but not initial claims really, and more importantly, not say the labor participation rate or the, the unemployment rate. But the direct measures of labor market slack still show a pretty tight labor market. We will get a little bit more news tomorrow, actually, with the employment cost index coming out. That'll give some clarity as to what's been going on with wages in a more statistically appropriate way than we get in the monthly numbers. And then the Fed gets to speak next week and t- tell us what they think. All right. I think before we leave you, maybe just touch on GDP quickly. That was up 1.1% in the first quarter. But a lot of that was really due to changes in inventories. So if you look at a different number, which is final sales to domestic purchases, that was up 3.2%. So you know, in general, I would say the numbers bear out that the economy is still doing quite well. Yeah, and that looks like it's that's a stronger number than we've seen in a few quarters. And I think that is the right way to look at it. Look at the final sales of domestic consumers or personal consumption. They're both quite strong. Yeah, absolutely. We'll leave it there. We'll be back next Friday with the payroll number. And in the meantime, if you would like more of our analysis, you can check out the Aster blog on asterim.com, or you can reach out to your Aster sales representative. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, John. To learn more about Aster Investment Management's research and strategies, please visit us on the web at www.asterim.com or stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you. Aster Investment Management, LLC, is a SEC-registered investment advisor. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investing purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change. They are not intended as investment recommendations.